0: Chapter Thirty Three of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Three: Last Incidents of the Expedition. Doctor Hayes and Norr were buffeted by a fierce storm soon after starting. They were over fifty miles from M. Donald and Jensen, only ten of which were traversed before they were obliged to encamp. But the storm howled and tossed the snow-clouds about them making it impossible to build a snow-hut after a brief halt and feeding the dogs with the last morsel of food which remained they pushed on the snow was deep often nearly burying the dogs as they plunged along the hammocks and rocks over which they climbed lay across their path and the wind blew with unabated half-fury yet they halted not until the remaining forty or more miles were accomplished and they tumbled into the hut of their companions the dogs rolled themselves together on the snow the moment they were left utterly exhausted the weary men slept a long sound sleep when they awoke a steaming pot of coffee and an abundant breakfast awaited them they had fasted thirty-four hours and travelled in the last twenty-two over forty miles which the hammocks and deep snow made equal to double that distance of smooth sledging. The last few miles were made in a state of partial bewilderment, so their final safety was another of their many marked deliverances. The remaining run to the vessel had its daily perils and escapes. As they were approaching the American shore, they stepped across a crack on the ice. They had traveled but a short distance when they perceived— That there was an impossible channel between them and the land ice they ran back to recross the crack and that had become twenty yards wide they were in fact on an ice raft and were sweeping helplessly out to sea they had hardly collected their thoughts after this terrifying surprise before one of the shore corners of their raft struck a small grounded iceberg and on this as on a pivot the outer edge swung towards the shore, struck its margin, allowed them to scamper off, and then immediately swung again into the open water and shot out to sea. The poor dogs, being insufficiently fed and necessarily overworked, now began to fail. Jensen's lameness compelling him to ride, increased their burden. One died just before the party left the hammocks, and two soon after. A fourth having failed, the commander, thinking to shorten his misery, shot him. The ball only wounding him, he set up a terrible cry, at which his companions flew at him, tore him in pieces, and almost before his last howl had died away into dreary waste, they had eaten the flesh from his bones. They arrived at the schooner safely, after two months' absence, during which they had travelled thirteen hundred miles. The commander was cheered to learn that the party who returned under McCormick had reached Port Folk in safety. The whole ship's company were in good health. The vessel was immediately thoroughly examined and put in sailing order. As the summer came on, the birds, the green mosses, hardy little flowers, several species of moths and spiders, and even a yellow-winged butterfly appeared to greet its coming. The open water was daily coming nearer the schooner. While awaiting the loosening of its icy fetters, a boat's crew had an exciting walrus hunt. Dr. Hayes had been on a hilltop which overlooked the bay when the hoarse bellowing of a distant walrus saluted his ears. Drifting ice rafts were coming down the sound, on which great numbers of these monsters could be seen. He hurried to the vessel and called for volunteers. Soon a whaleboat was manned, and the men, armed with three rifles and a harpoon and line, dragged it to the open water, launched it, and rowed into the midst of the drift-ice. The first cake of ice which they approached contained a freight of twenty-four walruses, pretty well covering it. The lubberly, ugly-looking sea-hogs appeared as content as their very distant relatives of ours ties, while they huddled together and twisted for the sunniest spot and bellowed in one another's ears our hunters were all eager for the fight as they approached with muffled oars but on coming near to the floe it was apparent that the hunt was not to be all fun nor the fighting on one side only the hides of the monsters looked like an iron plating and were in fact an inch thick smooth hairless and tough suggesting a good defensive ability while their great tusks projecting from a jaw of elephantine strength hinted unpleasantly to the invaders that their antagonists were prepared for assault as well as defence very likely if one could have seen at that moment The countenances of our boat's crew, they would have shown more of a wish to be in the vessel's cabin than they would have cared to confess with their lips. But there was no flinching. There were two male walruses in the herd, huge, fierce-looking fellows, which roused up a moment to scan the strangers, and then, giving each other a punch in the face with their tusks, stretched out again upon the ice to sleep. In this walrus party there were, besides the two fathers, mothers with children of various ages, from the little ones of four hundred pounds to the young folks. Of course, they were a loving, happy group. The boat came within a few times its length of the ice raft. Miller, an old whaleman, was in the bow of the boat with a harpoon. Hayes, Knorr, and Jensen stood in the stern, with their rifles leveled each at his selected victim while the oarsmen bent forward to their oars. At the ward the rifles cracked, and the oarsmen at the same moment shot the boat into the midst of the startled walrus. Jensen hit one of the males in the neck, not probably doing him much harm. Hayes' ball struck the other bull in the head, at which he roared lustily. Nor killed a baby walrus dead, but he disappeared from the raft with the rest, probably pushed off by his mamma. When the old fellow which was wounded by the commander rolled into the water, Miller planted his harpoon in him with unerring skill, and the line attached spun out over the gunwale with fearful velocity. There were a few moments of suspense, and then up came the herd, a few yards from the boat, the wounded bull with the harpoon among them. They uttered one wild, united shriek, And answering shrieks from thousands of startled walruses on the walrus-laden ice rafts for miles around filled the air. It was an agonized cry for help, and the answering cry was, We come. There was a simultaneous splash from the ice rafts, and the hosts, as if by the bugle call, came rushing on, heads erect, and uttering the defiant, Hook, hook, hook. They came directly at the boat surrounding it and blackening the waters with their numbers. The wounded bull, attached still to Miller's line, led the attack. The hunters had aroused foemen worthy of their steel, and they must now fight or die. It seemed to be the purpose of the walruses to get their tusks over the side of the boat and so easily tear it to pieces or sink it, and then, having its audacious crew in the water, make short work of them as they came on miller in the bow pricked them in the face with his lance the rowers pushed them back with their oars while hayes jensen and Nor sent as fast as they could load and fire rifle balls crashing through their heads at one time a huge leader had come within a few feet of the boat hayes and jensen had just fired and were loading but noor was just in time to salute him with a ball. The men were becoming weary, while the walrus-assaulting column was constantly supplied with fresh troops. The situation was now critical, when, as if to crush his enemy and end the conflict in victory on his side, a walrus-goliath with tusks three feet long led on a solid column of undismayed warriors. Two guns had just been fired as before. His terrible weapons were fearfully near the gunwale, when Norr's gun came to the rescue. Its muzzle was so near his open mouth that the ball killed him instantly, and he sunk like lead. This sent consternation through the walrus ranks. They all do at once, and when they came up, they were a considerable distance off, their tails to their foes, and retreating with a wild shriek. The battle was ended. And the saucy explorers were victors the sea in places was red with blood the harpooned bull and one other were carried as trophies to the vessel on the twelfth of july the schooner floated after an ice imprisonment of ten months the eskimo seeing that the white friends were about to leave them gathered on the shore in sorrowful interest they had been the receivers of gifts great in their estimation and they had rendered the strangers no small favours, especially in the use of their dogs, without which no excursions of importance could have been made. Kalutuna actually wept on parting with Dr. Hayes. He had enjoyed under his patronage the Eskimo paradise, plenty to eat, plenty sleep, no work, no hunt. He spoke feelingly of the fading away of his people. Come back, he said, and save us, Come soon, or we shall be all gone." He had reason to express these fears concerning his people. Since Dr. Kane left, thirty-four had died, and there had been in the same time only nineteen births. There seemed to be in all the settlements from Cape York to Etah only a hundred. The explorers bid adieu to Port Folk on the 14th, and sailed away to the west side of Smith Sound and reached a point about ten miles south of cape isabella the hope was entertained by the commander that he might work his way with the vessel north through the now loosening ice over which he had just been travelling with sledges get through even kennedy channel to the open sea on the shore of which he had so lately stood and then sail away to the north pole what a stimulating thought but he found the schooner ice battered and weakened by the nips she had experienced, was unequal to the required fight with the defiant pack, which everywhere filled the sound. So the explorers turned homeward. They arrived at Upernavik on the 12th of August, after many exciting incidents, but no accident. Here they learned the startling news of the commencement of the Great Rebellion. During their absence President Lincoln had been inaugurated. The black cloud of war had settled heavily over the whole country, and the bloody battle of Bull Run had been fought. They were now to return home and transfer their interest in fighting ice packs, bergs, and polar bears to the conflicts of civil war End of chapter thirty three